Then you will truly be successful. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. Gotta work together. Oh. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good to those who love God. He has word on your lips. To those who are called. Meditate on your According to be his purpose, to do purpose. it's his purpose, Ooh. not mine. And we know all things work together for the good. The good. And we know all things work together for the good. The good. To those who love God, to those who are called, according to His purpose, purpose, it's His purpose, not mine. It is day 32 of our 90-day challenge, and the topic for today is take a little time to have some fun. Song of Songs, chapter 1 verse 1 through 17. Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me, she says, with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. The friends say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. She says, how right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? The friends respond, If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. And he responds, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. She responds, While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh. It's a sachet, I know, but I just want to say sachet because it just sounds better. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts, Lord Jesus. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She says, how handsome you are, my beloved, oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. He says, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. And as the old church used to say, and may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his already blessed word. Today, our topic is take a little time to have some fun. So listen, I know, clutch your pearls, get ready. Some people are only here for the comments. Don't y'all show out in the comments what, Sean, does Song of Solomon teach us about purpose? I know. I know. Before I give you that answer, though, I want to give you a couple of fun facts around the book of Solomon. It was authored 
this Song of Solomon by King Solomon. It is a love song. This book is about God's love in human relationships. And although this book was written by and for the purpose of a monogamous relationship, this woman and this man are in a monogamous relationship. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines by the end of his life. Now, how he remembered all of their names, I do not know. But if I was Solomon, I would have given them A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, because it's just too much. Song of Songs is often misunderstood. It is sometimes misapplied and not read very much. But I want us to see God in everything. And I also want to challenge you to see purpose inside of Song of Songs. What I believe that this beautiful love poem teaches us about are two words that most churches don't talk enough about anyway. Romance and recreation. Transparently, I got married at 23 years old. I was a virgin when I got married and my former wife was a virgin when we got married. We never heard a sermon about romance. We knew that sex was a gift from God, but for us, it was taboo. It was never talked about. And because it wasn't talked about, half of us snuck around and did it without our parents knowing. And the others of us ran away from it, suppressed it. But now I know a little older than I was then that suppression is not deliverance. Now I know that many times people are not delivered. They're just discreet. So what happens if we bring our entire selves, our whole selves into the scriptures and we ask God for revelation? In Song of Solomon, I see this exciting, this passionate, this recreational love that did not materialize in my life until I was in my 30s. I didn't know how to enjoy. I did not make much time in my schedule for play. I am a very serious person and I am methodical. I am an ex-workaholic. I am not a workaholic anymore. I am grateful that the 90 Day Challenge has taught me the beauty of Sabbath and the relationships that I have maintained over the last few years has really taught me balance. But every once in a while, I struggle with fun. I am not the kind of person that hangs out late at night or um, that schedules things in my time for recreation. But I'm learning over time that romance and recreation give meaning to our lives. And for some people, romance is recreation, right? Um, but for those who are creators, for those who are preachers, for those who are writers, you cannot work all day, every day. Sometimes you got to take some time to have some fun. So here is the purpose principle. Purpose, my friends, is not just what you list on your life goal vision board. Purpose is also connected to the people that you love. So I want you to think about your calendar and I want to ask you, do you calculate fun? Do you schedule time for romance and recreation? One thing that I learned from my pastor was when calendar planning happened every year, we had what was called blackout dates. Those were uh, non-negotiable dates that every staff member had to attend. We had to be in church for the anniversary. We had to be in church for Easter. We had to be in church for Christmas. And we had to be in church for Mother's Day and Father's Day. These were blackout dates. But in addition to that, 
My pastor also taught us to black out our vacation dates in advance. We knew that the pastor's birthday was on such day. We knew that the first lady's birthday was on this day. And so embedded inside of our calendar of to-dos was our intentionality of fun. If we had a hard work week like Easter, we would take the next week off. He would shut down the offices and that was when we were able to plan our vacations. I want to know, when's the next time you're having some fun? Have you scheduled it into your life? Or are you just waiting for fun to happen upon you? Now, there are typically two people, two kinds of people that hear this advice. We have the person who only has fun and has no boundaries to get work done. But then we have the other person, and that's more like me. If I could, I would schedule productivity into every moment and minute second of my day, and fun would happen by accident. Now I know differently. I want you to take some time and look at your calendar and make sure that you put time in for romance. Your significant other wants to spend some time with you, your husband, your wife, your children. They want to have fun. They want to feel your embrace. They want you to walk them to the park and hold their hand. Romance is not a curse word. It's a beautiful experience shared by two people who love one another. At the end of the day, the people that you work the hardest for won't be there when you take your last breath. So take some time to have some fun. And recreation, isn't it interesting that we are sharing this particular purpose thought the week after we scheduled some time to have some fun with the 90 day challenge? I am a leader who loves to connect. I love to connect by working, but there are other people on my team that connect in community by laughing, by having game nights, by watching movies together. And I have learned from my team how important it is to just call and ask, how are you doing today? How important it is to know, hey, I just watched something funny on TV and to share that funny video. And so now we have group texts where we laugh and we play and we enjoy and we work. And a few months ago, after having done two successful worship retreats, I looked up and said, I don't want my team to always see my name on their phone and they say, man, Sean's about to ask me for something. I wanted to change the pattern and I sent a voice note and said, hey, I have this grand idea. I love Broadway and Nakaya loves DC. How about we have a weekend getaway? And all of them said yes. They scheduled flights. And then I put out a short announcement with a few people that were on our purpose calls and I told them that we were going to do it. And just like the 90 day challenge clan, several people responded before I knew it. Uh, about 40 of us joined Carla and celebrated her uh, as she played um, a phenomenal role in the Tina Turner musical on Broadway. We had a great time. We laughed, we cried, we ate, we danced. It was fun. And now I'm thinking I need to intentionally schedule time for fun because for me, if I don't plan it, it won't happen. So as you listen out for more things that are coming down the pipeline, some of you may be listening to this podcast and the date is far gone. I want you to always know you can plug in by going to my website to see what recreational activities are happening because I am committing to doing that more often, at least once a quarter. You need to take a little moment to have some fun. Who 
is begging for your attention? Who wants to see you laugh again and smile again? Where do you go to recharge? Because when we don't allocate time for healthy fun, we automatically subscribe to unhealthy fun. And unhealthy fun looks like distraction and procrastination. Unhealthy fun looks like addiction and giving yourself to things that are not healthy or safe for your soul. When you don't take time to have fun, fun is had, but it might not result in positive purpose. So I want you to look at Song of Solomon as a rubric, as permission, as um, God inviting us into the beauty of romance and relationship and recreation. But as I even studied more to prepare for this purpose in 66 curriculum, I found that there are several scientists who have been studying the art of play as adults, and they have come up with some phenomenal discoveries that literally changed my life. I want to share with you one of the videos I saw that impacted me in such a way that I knew I couldn't keep it to myself. And in our workbook, you will also see additional guides and recommendations so that you can encourage those around you to have fun. I know I've said it before that you only go as far as your team, but if that team feels more like slaves than friends, I wonder if we're doing something wrong. Take a look at this video before we go. I'm here tonight to take a stand for a four-letter word, one that I have pushed away, denied, and doubted, and yet it has become the greatest gift and medicine of my life. I'm here tonight to take a stand for play. Now, of all the things that are important in the world, why choose play? Because play, I have found, is the most effective and powerful tool to get groups and teams to connect and collaborate quickly, easily, and deeply. So as Brady said, in 2003, I co-founded a practice called Acro Yoga that builds community through the values of trust, connection, and playfulness. And after 10 years of building Acro Yoga into a global movement with hundreds of thousands of practitioners, I decided to sell my half the business to take play into companies. And that was really scary because as a culture, we don't value play. We think of it as something for kids, something that is frivolous, but actually play and work are not opposite. They're very much complementary. So there's a book that came out last year that actually says that play is the number one motivator for work, twice as powerful as purpose and almost three times as powerful as potential. So in contrast, a recent Gallup poll says that 70% of our workforce is disengaged. How many people are going to work every day doing things they don't care about for a paycheck just to survive at the end of the week. There's a gap here, and I think play has a part in solving it. So what do we mean when we talk about play? Play is something you do for the pure enjoyment of it, not for a goal or for an outcome. It involves taking risks, being creative, getting outside of your comfort zone, interacting with other people, and being present. Mindfulness is something that many companies have embraced as a tool for becoming centered, focused, and available to the present moment. And play is just being in an extended state of mindfulness, except you get to add fun and togetherness. So in a recent workshop I did with ESPN, we played this game, Yes, Let's. One person makes a suggestion, and everyone immediately in the whole group says, yes, let's do whatever that thing is, and then they enact it. 
So in this particular instance, one person said, let's do the wave. And so everyone was like, yes. And they all passed the wave down. And then there was this awkward moment. And someone said, let's pass it back. And they passed it back. And then they said, let's do the conga line. And everyone said, yes, let's do the conga line. And there was like, dun, 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 dun. And the crowd erupts with laughter. So improvisation might seem like this isolated thing over there that doesn't relate to real life. But you're making improvisational decisions every moment. And play is training for the unexpected. It helps you to make those decisions and stay calm under pressure. Play turns strangers into community. It breaks down barriers. It levels hierarchies. It unravels power dynamics. And it creates trust and connection in groups almost instantly. Play lights up the brain. It decrystallizes the patterns of the mind. It helps the left and right hemispheres talk to each other. So we create new neural pathways, literally making you smarter and expanding your range of being. Play makes failure fun. So it creates this low stakes environment where you can make a mistake and laugh at yourself instead of get mad at yourself or blame one of your team members. And it creates an atmosphere of innovation, creativity, and a willingness to take risks. It also invokes a sense of childlike, playful curiosity and wonder, where we see the world and its challenges with fresh eyes. We can think about how can something happen instead of what if it could happen. There are many great leaders who have endorsed the value of play, including Albert Einstein, who said that play is the highest form of research. And he was known to make many of his famous discoveries while playing his violin. So play takes many forms for me. Often it's hiking up in the Oakland Hills with my dog, Charlie, where I get my greatest insights and discoveries, or going to Burning Man like I did this year with my husband and wore my wedding dress for fun on our one year anniversary. So, for many of us, work and play feel separate. They feel opposed. But how can we start the knit them, to knit them closer together? How can you start to infuse your work with a sense of playfulness, a sense of enjoyment for doing it just for the pleasure that it gives you? So I dedicate my life to leading live groups through ex playful experiences because it's the thing that lights me up. It keeps me accountable to being playful. And it makes me feel like I'm the best person that I can be. So George Bernard Shaw said, we don't, grow old. we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. So I invite you to stay young and keep playing. Thank you.